When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Forty-five days have gone, six weeks have passed, and a new year has come. Ladies and gentlemen, the Tech Sideline Podcast is back in 2019. Hello, everybody, and welcome into the latest Tech Sideline Podcast. We're recording on Thursday, January 24th. It's originating from TSL's High Tech Studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. I'm your proud host, Evan Hughes. We're pleased to be joined, as always, by the head honcho, the founder, Will Stewart, managing editor, Chris Coleman. Guys, 45 days has felt like an eternity. It's great to be back talking hokey sports with you guys. Yeah, and a lot's happened since then. Um, so it is good to get back into a podcast. Chris, uh, Virginia Tech's Christmas break is way too long. So I just want to get that out there. Uh, it's interesting because I think that the uh, – I thought the ACC was kind to Virginia Tech this year with the basketball schedule. They only scheduled two home games while the students were gone, right? Uh, well, Notre Dame and um, Wake. No, Notre Dame, Boston College, and, and yes. Wake. So three, and and Wake was technically that was that was Saturday, so not all the students were back yet. So. But there were but there were some. Back. There were yeah. some. Yeah. I was back, but yeah. still, they didn't schedule Duke, UNC, or Virginia. You know, during the during the break, so that was good. But they're kind of getting us on the back end because uh, Virginia Tech plays a home game against Syracuse this Saturday. And then that's the last Saturday home game of the entire basketball season. They're on the road every Saturday in February, which is kind of a bummer. Although, yeah, they don't have a home game in uh, in uh, early March either. So. Yeah, they've got uh, Miami, but it's on a Friday night. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So that's a, that's a shame. So make sure to come out and enjoy the game in Blacksburg. It is sold out. So, and it's going to be an eight o'clock broadcast on ESPN. So. I mean, clearly ESPN game day isn't here, but that's kind of a big deal being on at 8 o'clock on, on Saturday night. So, you know, if you got tickets, come to the game. It should be rocking. It's going to be high profile, and hopefully the Hokies will play well. Although, I think I read since they entered the ACC, they're 1-6 and six against Syracuse. So, I feel like, you know, not to segue into talking about, you know, I don't know what's on your schedule there, but I always feel like Buzz does a good job coaching against Syracuse, but they just don't win anyway. You know, I remember the one year where they were up in the dome and Justin Bibbs was it's in the been middle twi- of the zone. It's been twice in in the Carrier Dome where Virginia Tech has had a lead and, and lost. Yeah, and, and I remember the one year Tech was ahead by 10 points or something no, like both that. Of, both of them were like that. I Late in the yeah. game. And but then, that's the Carrier Dome, man. And then, Nothing and, good ever happens to Virginia Tech. Well, and then the Bayheim wakes up from his nap and says, hey, why don't you guys start pressing Virginia Tech? I got to get back to sleep, you know, right. and, and that's the end of the game. Yeah. Well, they've got some talent. You know, they beat Duke uh, last week. It's certainly going to be an interesting game, and we will talk about that game. We'll also be talking about Virginia Tech wrestling. They have two really big duels this weekend, one against Pittsburgh, another against a powerhouse in Lehigh on Sunday. We'll also, just in a, just a second, we're going to get into Virginia Tech football because there is a lot that has transpired in the last 48 hours. We'll get Will and Chris's thoughts on the transfers. But first, we want to remind you that this week and every week, the TSL podcast is presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm, dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses from their offices in Blacksburg and Roanoke. The Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended more than 30,000 people charged with moving violations. For a free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll free at 1-800-680-7031. That number again, 1-800-680-7031, or email them at info at fisherlegal.com. So, we begin our first podcast in the last 45 days, not talking about the bowl game, not leading off with Virginia Tech basketball. We are talking about the NCAA portal, uh, the, the, the transfers that have transpired in the last 48 hours as a lot of high-profile Virginia Tech football players have announced on Twitter that they will be uh, entering the transfer portal and leaving Virginia Tech. 
we can get into how this has transpired, the the how social media has played a part in this. We also have to talk about Coach Wiggins, the wide receiver coach at Virginia Tech, leaving to take the same position at Alabama. You guys have been following this better than anybody, and you guys have seen the fans' reaction. You've seen what's come out on social media. Your reaction to this two days removed is what, beginning with Will? Well, uh, so I was out at, a, at one of my kids' swim meets when the first two came, and they were Kuma and um, Cunningham. Kuma and Cunningham, and they announced boom, boom, right close to each other. Uh, and what night would that have been, Tuesday night? Tuesday night. Yeah, and this is uh, Thursday. Um, so and I, and I actually didn't have my phone with me, which is rare. So I had no idea what was coming. So I walk into the house and my phone's, I pick up my phone and it's been blown up. So I've gotten all kinds of text messages and all kinds of notifications. And at first it's alarming because, um, you know, we hadn't really been thinking about transfers and we hadn't uh, heard any information about guys possibly transferring. So it, it came out of nowhere for me. And you get alarmed at first, you know, and then when you start to think about it, and you educate yourself about how uh, the NCAA transfer portal and how it works, and you start thinking about the role social media plays in all this, it's it's a little disconcerting to see, you know, there were two more transfers, Josh Jackson and Deshaun McLeese, uh, within 24 hours. We knew Jackson was coming. Yeah. yeah. But by, at that point, we'd had discussions, and we'd been told, yeah, McLeese and Jackson are probably next. And I do want to recap, because I do think, we, you know, we have a lot of awesome listeners on this podcast, and not everybody has been following this up to date yeah so let me say that that we've been buried in it for 48 hours now so we assume that everybody listening is fully up to speed on everything and you're right they may not be so beginning on tuesday evening it came out and this is where i'm going to need chris's help just to make sure i get everybody's name but it came out essentially that eric kuma and chris cunningham were the first two to kind of get the domino or effect uh, that started announcing that they were going to transfer um, on social media and then this turned into uh, just a, a lot of former Virginia Tech football players on social media uh, tweeting about this and uh, just a lot of interested Hokies trying to figure out what was going on, right. which turns into yesterday and Deshaun McLeese transferring. That's now two years in a row that a running back has transferred uh, out of the program with McMillan and then now McLeese. Josh Jackson is transferring, and there are a couple of others who, have, uh, who are – going to transfer that is not on my list but those are the high profile players i would say all of it is done on social media and virginia tech did put out a statement yesterday from head coach justin fuente so that is kind of where we stand at this point in time right now chris i'll ask you this when you see everything that's happened should hokey fans be overreacting or should you be telling everybody just to hang tight and stay cool well when i first uh heard kuma was transferring you know, I texted him, and I forget my exact wording, but my response really wasn't any different than that of normal Tech fans. Like, what the heck is going on here? This yeah, is a starting receiver. He's a second-leading receiver, so why would he transfer? Right. Well, but there's there, there's a reason why, generally, I've always waited about 24 hours before offering opinions on things to give myself a time time to really study it, think about it, because you don't want to just start throwing an opinion out there before you think it through, at least not me as a professional writer. Uh, so after I thought it through and uh, and see where college football is trending these days. I mean, Penn State has, what, like 15 guys in the transfer portal. <laughs> it's In- 11 last 11, I okay, I whatever. Uh, including a starting wide receiver, including a former five-star defensive back. Uh, I'm not alarmed about the transfers. The only thing that uh, bothered me was how some uh, malcontent, so to speak, on Twitter handled it. Like Trevon Hill is just stirring things up. Uh, Kuma, quite honestly, has joined him in that. And those guys, they might profess their love for Virginia Tech, but they're not. They're not behaving that way. They're not behaving that way. All they're doing is damaging their their former teammates and friends, quite frankly, who were still in the program. They're, it's it's uh, divisive, yeah. and they're hurting their friends and. Uh, and I, I uh, if I was, and they need to be told that. But but there's no senior leadership on that team. There's hardly any seniors that can go in there and tell those guys that. So it's disappointing. And I was happy to see the response from Virginia Tech after the team meeting last night because we needed something on Twitter to drown out everything that those malcontents really were, were, were talking about, in my opinion. And they're using the hashtag, which we can talk a little bit about later. Hashtag it starts now 
And you mentioned a lot of the players in the program tweeting that out. And there's definitely been a a, a positive response to this since that team meeting that took place. By, we're recording on Thursday, so Wednesday evening um, for the Virginia Tech football team. So let's let's give a little background um, into into why things seem to be different now. And I put this in an article I wrote yesterday, but it was a pay article, so it probably didn't get circulated, uh, you know, a lot. Um, so the NCAA uh, relaxed transfer rules uh, last June. They announced they were relaxing transfer rules. Um, and specifically what they're doing, and previously if, a, if an athlete wanted to transfer, <clears throat> they had to go to their coach slash school, get permission, say, I want to transfer, can I talk to this school and that school? And the uh, the school was allowed to block you from going to certain other schools. So, you know, if you're Eric Kuma, for example, you go to Justin Fuente and you're like, I want to transfer. And Fuente says, fine, well, you can't go here. And he lists all of the ACC schools. Maybe. I'm not saying he would do this. I'm just Theoretically. This is hypothetical. Mm-hmm. And he also looks at future schedules and goes, well, you can't play for Penn State. You can't play for Notre Dame. You know, you, you can tr- so a lot of the power was in the hands of the schools. So the, the NCAA changed the rules and they created, they said, this was June, and they said in October we're going to create something called a transfer portal. So athletes, what you do now is you go tell your school you want to transfer, and they have 48 hours to put you into the portal, your information and the fact that you are available. And at that point, you can talk to anybody you want to talk to once you're in the portal. So it's really kind of a freeing experience for the players. So they announced this in June of 2018. They launched the portal in mid-October of 2018. Okay, so now it's easier for the athletes. And what you're, so the other wrinkle to that rule was that once you announce your intention to transfer and you're in the portal, your scholarship cannot be cut off until the end of that semester. And that's a key point, okay? The four guys that announced they were transferring in the last 40, 20, in a 24-hour stretch, they all announced it after classes started. At least three of them, maybe four of them, maybe all of them are going to be, I think they're all going to be graduate transfers, but at least three of them have to finish classes this spring to graduate. Including Josh Jackson. Including Josh, McLeese, and I I think Josh and McLeese verified it. Cunningham's been here a long time. He may have already graduated, or he's close. And Kuma, I think, will also finish up this semester. So... That's the little wrinkle. They waited till classes started. The semester had officially started. Virginia Tech had officially paid for their school and their scholarship. And then they said, I'm transferring, and into the portal they go. So for the rest of the spring, they'll be sitting here entertaining conversations and offers from other schools while they take classes at Tech and work towards their degrees. So essentially to put into another form for people who are just learning about this, this is free agency. We are entering an era of college football, Chris, where – as graduate transfers, you're sitting there talking and trying to find the best offer for you, the best situation, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, and uh, it bothers me t- to a certain extent, and it doesn't bother me from another perspective. Uh, from one perspective, from a player's perspective, all those years where you know you could transfer and you have to sit out for a year, and you still have to do that if you're a regular transfer. If you're not um, a graduate. Well, but yet coaches can move from school to school whenever they want, right? Administrators. Well, uh, right, and you don't have to sit out a year. Uh, how was that fair? And anyway, like, what what if what if you're recruited to Virginia Tech by Holman Wiggins, and he's the re- he's the main reason you came to Virginia Tech, and then bam, he leaves. It's no different than if you're an employee and you're recruited to a company by someone, and you say, man, I'm going to really enjoy working with that person on a daily basis. So you go there, and then that person, person leaves. leaves, and maybe maybe you transfer out and get another job, or maybe you don't, but. You know, nobody could blame you if you wanted to. Yeah, at if, least you have the option. At least you have the option, and these players in the past did, uh, did not have as many options as they do today. So from that standpoint, uh, quite frankly, I agree with with, with all the new rules. The players do need to have more more freedom to move about. Um, I think also that for Virginia Tech, oh, I think pretty much any new recruiting legislation that's come out in the last 10 to 15 years has hurt Virginia Tech. Um, and, uh, you know, we... And with the dynamics in the state of Virginia, there's just there's no talent in Danville anymore. There's no talent in Lynchburg anymore. There's not as much talent in Southwest Virginia anymore. Uh, I don't think there's as much talent overall in the state of Virginia anymore. No, no matter what the rankings say, 
Uh, I just don't think there is. Um, so I, I don't I don't think it's Virginia Tech can't recruit at the same level as they used to, in my opinion. At least they can't do so uh, by doing the same things. I, I, I think to beat Clemson, Virginia Tech needs to have seniors and juniors, a team full of seniors and juniors, preferably redshirt seniors and redshirt juniors. But how can you build a team of seniors and juniors these days when nobody wants to accept being second string and they're just going to leave? So to me, I, I mean, I think the I th- I think it hurts parity. Um, I, I think I think, and honestly, I think pretty much every new rule that comes out hurts parity. <laughs> uh, to be quite honest with you, but and uh, I, I think the the further we get into it, the more it's about the schools that have the most money, and that's just what it, the way it's going to be. So um, you know, to be clear. The, these guys that are transferring out now, since they're they're all going to be graduates, they can play right away at, at the school they transfer to next year. Younger players like Rico Kearney um, and Sean, Sean Savoy. Savoy. I don't know that Savoy is even going to keep playing football, but Kearney's already committed to and I assume enrolled at UCF. Central Florida. So he still has to sit out a year um, because he uh, he is not a graduate. So that part of the rule hasn't changed. Um, so it's giving players a little bit more freedom, and the fact that they all, as as graduate guys, as guys who are getting ready to graduate, kind of have to wait till the first day of classes to make their intention known. That means it, it all happens at the same time, and then you add in Twitter, and it's it's kind of alarming as a fan that that's where you hear it from. It looks like the coach doesn't have, and I'm again, I'm not saying I believe this. I'm just saying what people, how people react. It looks like the coach doesn't have control over the program. It looks like his players are defiantly and, and willfully, hey, let's all get together and all do it at the same time, and we won't go through what our fans are used to as normal channels. We'll just tell you on Twitter, and that's how you'll find out. And that stuff, that stuff rattles fans, but that's, that's the way it is now. Um, and, and that when Chris talks about waiting 24 hours to say something, so I heard about these the, the first two transfers, and I thought about it all night, and I thought about it while I was showering the next morning, and I thought about it on the drive-in. I gave it hours and hours to kind of think about all these things, and we don't we don't care for it, you know, as fans. It's it's it doesn't look right and it doesn't feel good, but it's just the way it is. Now. Let me ask you something real quick, because I could sit here and talk about how social media has changed so much of how people live their lives, let alone yeah. college football. But let me ask you this, Chris, because every, you know, listen, not just Virginia Tech, college football teams have players transfer all the time. Whether it's 1990 or it's 2019, players transfer. Would this be as big a deal today if it weren't for Twitter? (laughs) I was actually uh, talking on the phone to a former Tech player last night, and he was telling me about how there was plenty of dissension on the team back around 96 when Beamer kicked a bunch of guys off the team. and uh, But, it, you know, there was no so- social media back then, and the problem fixed itself. I guess there were good leaders on that team, and quite frankly, they won a bunch of games. So, uh, you know, it, nothing really came to light. Um, so I think it certainly has a lot to do with it. Um, I, I think social media, you, you know, there's some really good commentary on there. And there's also some things on there where you're like, I, I can't believe someone is actually putting that out in public, you know, because that's just a, one of the craziest things I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, I, I think a little bit of this also is that Tech fans have been very much insulated from what I would call the real world of college football because of years and years and years of Frank Beamer. And our entire athletic department, and especially our football program, was probably the most unique program in the entire country for years and years and years and years. So when, and when and when almost every employee in the athletic department turns over within the course of a few years, new football coach, new athletic director, new everything, things are going to change to a certain extent. And uh, it's not going to be the way it always was. So, so part of it is Virginia Tech is normalizing because we don't have that unique guy or unique people in the athletic department anymore like like we used to have and you're not going to get that back that's just the way it is um so things are going to be more normal now um we're, we're going to start well we have started seeing how other people were uh 
were doing things and the things other people were experiencing all those years that Virginia Tech had Frank Beamer. And uh, it's, it's, it's a wake-up. It's a shock to some people, I, I think. But uh, I think a lot of the things we're seeing now are just, are per, quite frankly, pretty normal. So one other thing I want to add is that when, when a player like Kuma goes on uh, Twitter and announces that he's transferring, um, and we, we heard later that, that Kuma really hasn't been happy with the situation ever since he got here. Now, he's not a he, – he, he originally committed to Virginia Tech in June of 2015, which means he committed to the old coaching staff. He signed in February of 2016. Um, which means that he was re-recruited by the new staff. So he and Fuente came in at about the same time. And Kuma was careful to not thank Coach Fuente in his announcement. He, he thanked Bud Foster, who I believe was involved in his recruitment. He thanked Holman Wiggins, his position coach. He did not thank Coach Fuente. So people started saying, yeah, Kuma hasn't really been happy with Fuente since he got here. Um, so he chooses to announce his transfer. And... Other players who have already transferred, you know, and, or been kicked off the team, they start um, retweeting and, and saying, you know, get that bag, bro, and stuff like that, you know. And, and what the phrase I used in my article was echo chamber. It's five, six, seven guys, and they become an echo chamber. And the, this is all the fans see. And they're like, oh, our players don't like Justin Fuente. Relax. It's five or six guys. There's 85 scholarship players and 20 walk-ons on that team just because – Five and five or six of them have their little echo chamber going. Doesn't mean the program's falling apart. So that's the other thing that I think alarms fans. And, right. and I think that goes and back to social media. And, yes. one, and one of those five or six players was booted from Virginia Tech's football team. Was booted from his high school. Uh, one of those five or six players is currently has a felony charge to his name. You know, so who are you going to believe here? I mean, honestly, uh, um, I'm more likely to side with Fuente. In this case, um, just simply because of the background of some of those some of those guys, and not all of them. And then let me state for the record that I, I like Eric Kuma. Uh, he's a heck of a run blocker. Uh, can really go up and get the football. Nice guy, uh, and and obviously worked really hard and played really hard while he was at Virginia Tech. Yeah, he um, put on a lot of size. Yeah, you know, in caught forty balls this, this past year. year right. The game ceiling touchdown against Florida State over right. the middle. Mm-hmm. So. And, and I do want to pose this question to you guys, too, because I, I want to kind of dissect who's leaving and kind of the bigger questions of what that means. Okay. And I, so, real quick, I do want to get your thoughts out of the players who announced they are leaving. What is the biggest loss for this program? Um, uh, to hedge my answer a little bit and say it depends. Um, if everybody stays healthy, I think that the loss of Kuma is probably the biggest deal. Um, there, there was no, you know, uh, who knows who the starting quarterback's going to be. Um, but you've got in, uh, in Ryan Willis, a guy who has got a lot of experience. He's going to keep working and getting better. We don't know what we've got in Quincy Patterson. Um, if Ryan Willis gets hurt next season and you got to play Quincy and Quincy's not ready, then definitely the loss of Josh Jackson is way bigger than the loss of Eric Kuma. And Kuma, you know, he does come from a uh, – uh, a receiving core that is is deep and getting deeper, but I thought that uh, I don't want to say he was unique to that receiving core, but he he could make he and Trey Turner are good at making catches in traffic, really good, really bodying up and going to get the ball, and and so it hurts to lose that. If Ryan Willis he winds up being your starter and he's healthy and he plays all twelve games, you're not even going to notice Josh Jackson's missing. So it all depends. You know, that's kind of my take on it, though. Yeah, that's mine, too. I would say Kuma for all the reasons uh, Will listed. I don't think Kuma was going to start next year. Uh, I, I think Trey Turner is a type who can be a really high NFL draft pick. And, you know, I think he played 450 snaps this year. Well, he's going to be playing 700 or more snaps next year. And he's got to take those those snaps are coming away from somebody else, right? And uh so I, I think Kuma was he was going to definitely be a contributor, uh, maybe not as much of an impact guy as he was this year, but he was definitely going to be a contributor. So I would say that he's the biggest loss. Um, could be Jackson, depending on on what happens. Um, I, I, I'm whoever starts at quarterback though. I mean Willis had his limitations this year as far as the read option and RPOs and things like that. But in general, for uh, Justin Fuente has always gotten. 
the most out of his quarterbacks as far as numbers go. Um, you know, Ryan Willis had the reputation of kind of being on a turnover machine at, at times at, in practice at Virginia Tech. Didn't really see that. And he certainly games. was a turnover machine at Kansas, and he did a good job protecting the ball this year. Uh, I threw eight or nine picks. I think he threw ten. He when, threw you, ten. When, you, when you count the Cincinnati at the end okay, of the game. Okay. Right, uh, which – Honestly, yeah, you right. don't. A couple and, of those. And, and two of those were uh, Damon Hazleton drops. Right in the chest. Right right yeah. in the chest. So uh, I think they did a great job with him, helping him limit his turnovers this year. Now maybe they took out some of the offense so he didn't have to uh, make certain throws that maybe he wasn't good at. Uh, so maybe that was a, a limitation factor for the offense to a certain extent. But uh, I, I think whoever Virginia Tech puts out there at quarterback – We'll be good enough to win football games if our defense improves good enough. Yeah, uh, you, you're not you going to see a Virginia Tech quarterback throw 15 touchdowns and 15 interceptions. No, it's, just no, not it's, gonna not, it's not, not, nothing going to be like that, no. Breaking down the Virginia Tech football news here this week on the Tech Sideline Podcast presented by the Fisher Law Firm. Evan Hughes, Will Stewart, Chris Coleman with you. When we look, I want to go through three. Th- we really went over receivers, so I want to go over two guys here and kind of talk big picture. Let's start with Josh Jackson. And – you know, when you look at his numbers, you know, he starts as a redshirt freshman. He throws for just under 3,000 yards. Many people said he was a leader on a young team that had a lot of uh, uh, younger guys on the offensive side of the ball, even him being a young guy. You know, he comes from a, a coaching background. His dad, the former running backs coach at U of M for quite some time. But I do want to say this, and I want to make sure I say is, uh, the, you know, the Roanoke Times did a story, and Mike, I'm going to say his last name Nizielek. wrong. Nizielek. <laughs> he There was something in there, and I want to get your thoughts on this, is that he said he, Josh Jackson felt disrespected to compete for the starting job again. I assume that is somebody speaking for Josh Jackson. Yes, that's not – yeah, 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 yes. No, no, yeah. So did Mike say a source told him that? Yes. Okay. Um. Because I haven't read the article. The and as I pull up his article here, and I just want to make sure I get the right context on that. Um, there was uh, a quote that came out, and as while well, I continue to talk about that and find that, but just getting your thought. I mean, you know, if Josh Jackson had said, because we had talked about this being a competition, right? You know, and maybe one of the most coveted quarterback competition to Tech football. Since, you know, you're Glennon and Tyrod, and then, as you guys said in the 90s, I'm Yeah, there were going to be three guys going. Well, you know, even four. You know, some people want to, you know, put Hen and Hooker into that conversation. What, I mean, Josh Jackson leave, I mean, do we think if he had stayed, would he be the opener against Boston College? I mean, I I have no idea. Um, I do know he would have had a chance to win the starting job this year. Uh, I think the chances of him winning the starting job the year after that, as Quincy's older and more experienced, they would certainly be lower. I think by leaving, he was the right decision for himself, quite frankly. And I, and I have no idea whether he felt disrespected or anything like that. Did you find it? Here's what it says in the paragraph. It says, One of the major factors in the decision was that Jackson felt disrespected when asked to compete for the starting quarterback job again this spring, a source close to the quarterback said. So it's, it's tempting to unload on Josh for not wanting to compete. But those words didn't come out of Josh's mouth. We didn't hear Josh say that. Correct. So I'm I'm not I'm not even going to address that actually. Yeah, I mean, and I don't know. All I know is the guy played on a fractured foot with a, a with a bum throwing shoulder last year behind an offensive line that sometimes featured Parker Osterlo protecting his blind side yeah. with no wide receiver to throw to, and then this year he broke his foot. So, again. so Josh has paid jo- his dues. Josh, Josh has paid his due. Josh took a lot of physical damage for Virginia Tech football. Yeah. So I'm not going to sit here and bash him for no. something he may or may not. And that wasn't my intention of saying. I, I, actually, yeah, I know, yes, I know. I, and I and I actually thought he put out a really nice statement. I mean, Josh Jackson is a is a. Really hard worker, right? Did a lot of great things for his university. I think everybody in Hokie Nation really wishes him nothing but the best moving forward. But I do think it sets up now an interesting – because I want to bring up something that you guys had said about the quarterback competition. I believe it was more specifically Will. And it was basically for the starting position, and I think you could substitute Willis into Jackson in this sentiment. If Let's say Willis has 100% a grasp of the playbook – by day one, right in the off season, and Quincy's at seventy or eighty percent. Mm-hmm. Do you start Willis because he's got that hundred percent, or do you go with Quincy because he's got that seventy eighty percent and the upside and the fans? So again, I still think that conversation still 
holds true because I would I think Willis probably has 100% of the playbook and Quincy's getting closer and closer to 100%. So my, my viewpoint as, as an outside observer is going to be different from how a coach looks at it. And the conversation changes. If Virginia, had won, if Virginia Tech had won nine or ten games last year, it's actually a different conversation. They went six and seven this year. Um, if you have another year like that next year, it's, it's tough to take two of those in a row. So I think that the coach, coaches always want to win the next game. We want to go 1-0. Oh, I'm going to play the guy that's going to give me a chance to win the next game. I think that's the way they think. As an observer, I'm looking at the maturity levels of the rest of the team. I'm looking at the Charmin soft schedule this year. I'm looking at the schedule next year with Penn State coming in and I think the second game of the season or something like that in the Lane Stadium. I'm a dude who's going to rip the Band-Aid off and play Quincy Patterson. Um, but that's just me. You know, I'm, I'm not, I don't get paid $4 million a year to win football games and sell tickets and make sure those donations keep coming in. Yeah, I uh... – if it's all if if ever if it, if it's even close, I would start Quincy, um, for all the reasons Will just mentioned. And plus, I think when you look at this football team now that uh, Cunningham and Kuma are transferred, I think there's only going to be six seniors on Correct. this team next year. And uh, one of those, Xavier Burke, is coming off an Achilles injury. We don't even know if he'll play. And House Gaines, Gaines, Gaines is coming off a torn ACL. How effective will he be? Tyrell Smith is a career backup. Jovan Quillen's a rotational player at cornerback. So, I mean, the seniors coming back, for the most part, aren't even impact seniors. Uh, and if, if Quincy wins the job, then, you know, Ryan Willis will be a senior, and there's another senior backup if Quincy won the job. Wow. So the, this entire team basically is still based on – on young players, and uh, so I, I think you. I would prefer. I want the best player to win the job. I hope the best player is Quincy, but if Ryan Willis is the best player, then I hope he starts. Hmm. That's how I would phrase. It. Certainly going to be an interesting spring game uh, this year in April. You know, to see the two of them go at it until you know you see them again. And by the way, Willis threw for over two hundred yards in the spring game last year. So, so you're Justin Fuente and and. You know, I'm sorry, but the last thing you want to do is come out after spring football and say Quincy Patterson is going to start in 2019. Right. Because what do you think Ryan Willis is going to do? Yeah, he's got another year of eligibility left. He's he's a grad guy. Oh yeah, you got to take that conversation into August, and I, I'm sure it will go into August. Uh, I, I, the other part of this that we're not talking about is you know Fuente recruited Gerard Evans as a JUCO transfer, and then Gerard just foolishly declared for the NFL draft. So Fuente planned to have. A, the same starting quarterback for his first two years at Virginia Tech, and Gerard didn't let that happen. So then Josh becomes the starter in 2017. Oh, he's a freshman. He's coming back. We're, we're going to have a starter for two years in a row this year. Nope, breaks his foot in the third game of the season. So now you're on your third starting quarterback in, in as many years. If you start Quincy next year, that's the first, fourth starting quarterback in as many years. Uh, at some point, Fuente would like some continuity there. Nope, you're 100% right. Well, he would have liked to have some continuity there already, but circumstances have prevented that. A couple more talking points on football, then we're going to get into Hokies basketball and Hokies wrestling. This is the Tech Sideline Podcast, the first one of 2019. So glad you could join us here wherever you listen to your podcast. Um, I think this is something interesting to bring up as well because I, I'm, fast, I'm, I'm intrigued by the running back situation next year for Virginia Tech. You lose Stephen Peoples, your leading rusher to graduation. And to me, it felt like Deshaun McLeese was going to be uh, the next man up, so to speak, as coaches say. So with McLeese out, where does Tech look to at running back? Is it Terrius Wheatley? Is yeah. it what's the answer there? Do you see? Uh, well? I mean, I think right now Holston's a def- definite starter. Uh, Wheatley, the majority of his experiences on jet sweeps as a slot jet receiver, jet sweeps and kickoff returns, and, and right? kickoff returns. And I think he has talent, but still a little skinny upstairs. There's even some rumors that he's had a shoulder. That he played with a shoulder injury, and that's why they wanted to limit his touches as a true running back. So, I I, I don't know, uh, but those I know those are the only two running backs on the 2019 Hokies who have touched the football in a college game. Um, so, but by default, I think it's got to be Holston, who I thought was a much better player at the end of this season. And Fuente but, uh, gave a lot of praise to him down the stretch about yeah. his work ethic. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Great, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think he improved his balance as we saw against uh, Marshall, and and the numbers were there much more so than they were when he was a freshman or even earlier in his in his sophomore season. So I feel pretty good about him. I don't know how I feel about anybody else. Um, I think Cole Beck is fast. 
I also think he's every bit as dedicated to track as he is to football. So, or more so. So I don't know how that's going to work out. Uh, Caleb Stewart, I, I know he was dressing as the emergency tailback at the end of this past season, but I still don't know anything about him because I've never seen him play football out of a high school outside of a high school highlight video. Um, Taj, uh, Taj Gary. Gary, don't yeah. say Boyd. I was, I, I'm writing an, I was writing an article earlier today, and I typed Taj Boyd, and then I had to go back and correct yeah, it. Yeah, somebody but, uh, did that on the boards, too. Yeah. It was pretty funny. Um, so I, I, he's coming off a broken leg. Um, the guy I like the most is Kashawn King, and I think he's in the rotation this year. I think he's got – he's the most likely running back on this team to break a big play and make a def- make the defense pay for taking a bad angle or, or, or missing a tackle or something like that. Um, I, You know, he's listed at 5'11", 177. McLeese was listed at 5'9", 197, but that guy had the – had smaller legs than me. I mean, it was the skinniest legs you could yeah. possibly imagine. He just did not look 197. King looks bigger than McLeese, even though he's not listed as big. Um, I think McLeese was a good back. I think he had good vision and good acceleration. Uh, he could not break tackles and could make that last man miss to turn the good vision and good acceleration into longer gains. He was also extremely banged up his entire career because he was so small and his legs were so skinny. He just couldn't stand up to the punishment. I mean, there's a reason his best two games this year was the first game and the last game because he was fresh going into the Florida State game, and then he had a month off before the bowl game, and boom, those were his two best games, and everything else in between was, you know, pretty mediocre, quite frankly, and even missed a couple games due due to an injury. So uh, I I think he is what he is at this point, unless he had really – Unless he'd really hit the weight room and really increased the size of his legs and gotten himself more durable, I think at best he was going. He was just he was going to continue to be a rotational tailback. And last thing before we uh, take a break and we come back and talk Hokies basketball is uh, Coach Wiggins, wide receiver coach, leaving um, Virginia Tech. He's going to take the same position uh, at Alabama. You know, you look at. This team in the 6-7 record, one of the bright spots, obviously, was the receiving core with the emergence of Trey Turner and Damon Hazleton. And, you know, he did a lot of good things. Also on the recruiting trail, looked like. So when you, when you look back at his tenure here at Virginia Tech, you know, what do you think he meant to this program and him taking the job with the Crimson Tide? I think he's a really good coach. Um, I, I think when you look and see how Eric Kuma developed, how Damon Hazleton's developed, and you look at Trey Turner. And, Trey developed throughout oh the year. Oh my goodness! Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was like night and day. If you remember, if you consider that Trey really didn't start playing football until he was a sophomore in high school, and then he missed half his senior season with shoulder surgery. I mean, he wasn't supposed to be able to do what he did this year, and his development was extremely impressive. Uh, and I've heard really good things about Wiggins as, as a recruiter as well. So, uh, I'm guessing Alabama can double his salary if. Uh, let's face it, Alabama could give him ten times as much money as Tech could pay him if they really wanted to. If they, if they could. Um, so there's nothing you can do about that if you're Virginia Tech. And plus, you know, Nick Saban assistants, they just have a tendency to go on and get bigger jobs, and I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> at a fairly prodigious a, rate. Exactly. So and I'm, I'm sure Wiggins has aspirations to be an offensive coordinator one day. I mean, he, there was talk of him being offered the offensive coordinator job at Temple. And I'm sure he has aspirations of maybe being a head coach one day, too. So you spend a year or two under Nick Saban, it's something to add to the resume. Well, and the amount of turnover Coach Saban's had at his offensive coordinator <laughs> position, a lot of times it's the next man up on his yeah. offensive staff. So you never know if Coach Wiggins could be the next offensive coordinator at Alabama in three to five years. I mean, do you, have, I, do you have the quote that you were reading me the other day about the, the anonymous assistant about – that was talking about coaching under Saban. Oh man, I don't, I don't remember what it was. Darn, it was funny, but I don't remember what it was because okay. I can't retain a thought in my head or details and facts and things like that. But I, I am working on just today. I cut and pasted. USA Today has a database of assistant coach salaries that you can, you know, it's in table form. So I just cut and pasted it into an Excel spreadsheet, and it's for the 2017-2018 year. It's not for this year. So the data is about a year old. And I sorted it, and Virginia Tech had the 31st highest paid assistant coaching staff in the country. Um, I wish I could remember the numbers. It was something like, you know, $3 million or something like that. And there's a bunch of SEC schools at the top that are paying their staffs five, six, seven million. And that's just the on-field coaches. I'm not talking about all the support staff and stuff like that. Um, and I, But I read, in the course of looking at all this data, I read that Clemson has had – 
of their 10 on-field coaches, something like eight of them have been there for the last six years. So Great that, point. Yeah, and, and, you know, Virginia Tech used to be known for their continuity in the coaching staff, and now Clemson is is uh, is is fitting that bill. They're doing a really good job of that. And, of course, the commentary was that, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the words that's really starting to surround Clemson is fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, winning's fun, but uh, Clemson is one of those schools that manages to get m- very good development, production out of their players, and yet it's still a fun environment for the players and apparently for the coaches too. You know, football by nature, the games are fun, but the day-to-day grind is not oh, fun. Man, I can speak to that as a former uh, player myself. And uh, part of this was, you know, I didn't really enjoy the the coach per se after my freshman year. So you get a couple months into August and you're just like, okay, I'm ready to play a game now. But really by the time October rolls around, you're like, really doing all this to play one game a week? Uh, you know, so it's got to be a lot of fun. You, you, you need to make it a fun environment on a day-to-day basis, I think, to really get the most out of your players. And, and, and Dabo has done an awesome job of that. You hear about the putt-putt course I think they have in the locker room. There's yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far. Yeah, you I know. Think, I think that's a, that's, that's a waste of money. But. I, I, think it's, I think it's more than that. It's more than the barbershop and the nap room and the putt-putt golf course and the big slide. It's, it's – I think it's just the way they run the entire program. Well, uh, a lot of great conversation here, and that's going to wrap up the football part of the podcast. We're going to step aside for a quick break, a commercial break, brought to you from our podcast partner, the Fisher Law Firm, who's defended more than 30,000 people charged with moving violations. Hokie basketball and wrestling on the other side of the break. This is the Tech Sideline Podcast. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Here at Fisher Law Firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at fisherlegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, Class of 98. Let's go. Hokies. Our thanks to the Fisher Law Firm for being proud partners of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We welcome you back. Evan Hughes, Will Stewart, Chris Coleman along with you and we've got a lot to talk about with Hokie basketball. We are in full swing ACC play. Hokies are currently ranked 10th in the country likely to drop after uh, the loss to North Carolina on Big Monday but still a, a quality top 20 team. When you looked at the two, the last two away games though Big loss to UVA on the road, big loss to North Carolina on the road. How much do you look into those two losses as a cause of concern? I don't look at the UNC loss at all. I mean, I think if you take anybody's best two players off the court for that for ten minutes for, for that amount of time at of, the same the time, half. yeah, I mean, I don't think it's gonna that's gonna turn out well for anybody. So honestly, I think absolutely nothing about the UNC game. I have zero feelings about that game at all, except that I'm glad. We got out of it with no injuries. Um, so I, I, none of my feelings have changed about this team. Um, I think at this time last year, we were 2-4 and four in the ACC with zero Quadrant 1 wins. This year, we are 4-2 and two in the ACC with two Quadrant 1 wins. So we're just in much, much better shape this year than we were last year. Uh I'm kind of with him on that. Uh, you know, you look at the UVA game, and UVA made nine of their first 11 three-pointers or something like that. Well, you know, last year when Tech beat them in, in JPJ, UVA shot horribly from three-point range. I don't, I don't know their team stats, but I know Guy and Jerome combined to go four of 24 from behind the three-point line. So that's just the law of averages, you know. And, and they got – I thought our guys got off to an okay start, and then, you know, it just – what are you going to do when the other team's making nine of their first 11 three-pointers? And then down at UNC, you know, it is what it is. Your best two guys sit, and things snowballed. Part of the commentary around the UNC game that bothered me was, was, and I like Jay Billis, don't get me wrong, but it was Billis and others going, oh, look at that, well, UNC's shooting. Oh, look at that, look at that UNC defense. Well, that UNC defense picked up when Justin Robinson went out and what Bisobiti had to run the point for 10 minutes. Yeah, that UNC defense then gave up 51 points in the second half when, when Justin Robinson and Alexander Walker were back in the game. Yeah, and, and then you talk about the UNC shooting. Well, you know what? When your defense gets going and you're stomping on somebody, 
you're playing looser and you're just hitting shots. You know, it's just the way it goes. So I don't put a lot into that. But I will say this. I think that is that that's four true road games now. Yes. And Virginia Tech hasn't looked good in any of them. Now, at least we started well in this one because the issue before was how we started yeah. uh, for, for the most part. Um, <laughs> played the whole game, actually. Play, oh, yeah, played the whole game. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I tell you what, my takeaway from the North Carolina game, I agree. I don't think you could take much out of it. But the way that they started, I mean, I think Buzz brought it up on they Tech were ready Talk to play. Live. They were, I, I want to say they were like six of seven they were. from deep to begin the game. And, and, you know, I would love, you know, I wish you could go back in time and just see theoretically if you could keep them both on the floor for the entire first half. I mean, I'm sure North Carolina would make a run, and I'm sure – Tech at some point, like just like UVA in the second, would get cold at some point. I felt good but, about that game, and I would I wouldn't have gone to Vegas and bet on Tech to win or anything. But I felt better about that game, knowing that North Carolina was going to play an an up tempo, open court game, and that's the type of game that Virginia Tech does well in. I felt better about that game than I did playing in UVA. Honestly, I, I felt just as I wouldn't say I felt. I feel, I I'm not going to say I felt as uh, as bad. What am I trying to say here? The Georgia Tech game I felt good about, but only because Georgia Tech is awful. Not because I knew that was game was going to be ugly. I thought this game was going to be pretty, and I thought Tech <laughs> had a chance to win it. Um, and I think they would have had a chance to win it uh, were it not for the foul trouble. Well, Tech is uh, undefeated at home this year in Castle, and they welcome the uh, welcome the Orange into Castle on Saturday as well. It's at eight o'clock on uh, ESPN. Also, when I look at this Tech team, you know, again, we did our last podcast on December 12th. 12th. And, you know, we had talked a lot about, you know, wanting to see this team in ACC play. You know, they're 4-2 and two right now. And I think one thing, when I look back at this team from a year ago last year to a year ago this year, obviously a little bit of different personnel, but it's the emergence of Alexander Walker. We talked about it in non-conference play. But I want to say, Chris, you would almost say, I want to see how he does in ACC play. And just you can continue to see the progression. He still scored, I believe, twenty against UVA. Yeah. He he just he is truly looking like the first round pick everybody's projecting him to be. You know, going into the UNC game against Virginia Tech, seven most talented opponents of the season, he was averaging nineteen point three points, shooting fifty five percent from the field, I think, and forty percent from three point range. And that includes the George Tech game when he scored four points on one of thirteen shooting. Right. So if you Which throw that out, amazing. the shooting goes up to sixty percent overall and fifty percent from three point range yeah. and averaging twenty two points a game. I mean that that dude has been dynamite against very good competition. Great against Wake Forest on Saturday. And well, to be yeah. fair, everybody's great offensively <laughs> against Wake Forest. Georgia Tech scored 92 on those guys. <laughs> Wait, Wake Forest and their coach, Danny Manny. <laughs> yeah, that's that, right. That's, a, that's, that's right. A little typo. Yeah, we had that typo in, in our game preview twice. We called him Danny Manny. Um, I like that name more. Danny Manny. <laughs> I, I'm cool with that. Danny so when you when you look at the the game on Saturday, let's go ahead and let's have some fun here. I mean, uh, with a with a quick prediction. I mean, you got Syracuse, who's uh, playing pretty good basketball since uh, their win over Duke. I mean, they're, got, they're ranked now. Syracuse has cracked the rankings. They've got O'Shea Brissett. They've got uh, a couple of other really talented upperclassmen on that team. However, I mean, you know, for me, I think it's going to come down to Tech's depth versus Syracuse's depth, and you know, foul trouble play a big key in it, but. Uh, if you have a per- prediction, let's uh, let's see what you got, Will. They're they're one and six. The Virginia Tech is one and six against Syracuse. I just you know, it's it's a pivotal game because we've seen them play a couple of not that great teams at home, Wake and uh, and Notre Dame. Um, we've seen them get past Georgia Tech on the road um, and and get blown out in UVA and UNC. I, I still feel like we don't really know what we've got. Um, yeah. And I will put the caveat in that. You, you may find out what you've got over the next few games, but it might change. It changed last year. You know, they were they were terrible. They were a terrible defensive team early on in ACC play, and then Buzz made some adjustments and they closed really well down the stretch yep. with some big wins. So that could happen again this year. But I think, you know, when you're when you're playing thirty plus games, it's hard to say a game is pivotal or a must win. I just don't believe that. I agree. Um, but it is an important game. It's a good team at home that is very athletic um so you know this is an important one if i if you ask me to pick i don't feel good about this just because of the track record virginia tech has played some great games against syracuse and still lost it's just a it's a thing you know it's so uh, that's 
If you, if you made me pick, I'd, I'd say it's not going to come out for the good guys in this one, but I hope I'm wrong. No, the last time I got Syracuse and Castle, Tech won by 10, I believe. Um, uh, you can look that up for me. Um, they also faced Washington earlier this year, and Washington, their head coach was a long, was the longtime associate head coach under Bayheim at Syracuse. They have faced this exact zone. In fact, Buzz said on uh, Tech Talk Live on Monday night that they never closed down the Washington game. Their file from that game is, so to speak, is still open because they knew they were going to be facing Syracuse. Um, so I'll go with the familiarity they have at the zone and playing from home, playing at home, and, and how inconsistent Syracuse has been. You know, they got bombed at home by Georgia Tech, and then the very next game they went on the road and dropped 95 on Duke. On Duke, yeah. Um, so, 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 so they're in a good stretch right now, in my opinion, so they're due for a loss. Well, part of it is how motivated are they going to be? They're Syracuse, you know. They, they wake up on one side of the bed one day and the other side of the bed the next day. You know, you don't get consistent effort. Yeah, they've, they've very much been that way in the latter stages of, of the, the Bayheim career. career, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, Tech beat uh, Syracuse last time at home, 83-73 That's in true. the uh, 2017, January 10th was the date of so that So two one. years yeah. ago. Yeah, I think, I think they Beat them when the students that. were not in town. Yes, yeah. that would make sense. Um, um, so, so do you remember, I don't recall, how did Virginia Tech attack that zone against Washington? Did they use Alexander Walker in the middle of the zone? Yeah, that's the way I remember it, yeah. Because they used to attack. He can, they, he can, they used Chris Clark there. Uh, and they, Justin they, I think they used uh, Blackshear some uh, there, too. I think you're uh, right. Uh, against Washington. Yeah. Um, and speaking of KJ, you know, Buzz oh, Williams had a lot of high praise for him, and rightfully so, yeah. after that North Carolina game. Correct me if I'm wrong, 19-17? And, and it's such a shame that that, that effort was wasted in against UNC on the road with Robinson and Alexander Walker in foul trouble. Yeah. Because if you told me before the game, Okay, we're going to get in a high tempo game with North Carolina. Blackshear is going to have 19 and 17, and I'm going to—I'd I'd be like, "Yeah, I like the way that hmm, looks. That, that, that sounds good. I, I really like the idea of our guards being in a high tempo, open court game with a lot of spacing, and then our big man absolutely going off like that." Um, it's it's like shooting ninety percent from the free throw line and a loss. Right? Man, what a waste! Why didn't you just go out there and yeah, shoot sixty percent right. and save the ninety for a close game? Exactly. He has been remarkable, and I tell you what, he's gonna he's gonna have to continue to be remarkable with no PJ Horn. I, I think he's been really good in AC, in ACC. Play. Yes, and really he hasn't. Good. You know, one thing a lot of fans I heard, you know, him in foul trouble. He really hasn't gotten into it. I mean, you can tell uh, how efficient he's been when he's on the floor. And I also want to bring this up about PJ Horn too. I know you can look at the stats and you see that he averages you know four a game. But he, I compared him to Draymond Green of the Golden State Warriors in this context that his plus minus in his when he's on the floor, there's a lot of things I feel like he does that does not show up on the stat sheet. He's a great defender, and uh, you know certainly I, I know the Hokies would love to get him back as soon as possible. Yeah, and uh, you know PJ Horn is not playing the position he's re- he was recruited to play. Uh, this team was set up with the idea that. Kerry Blackshear was going to be playing 30 minutes a game at center with Kadeem C playing 10 minutes a game, backing him up, and then Chris Clark and, and starting at four and P.J. Horn backing him up at four. And unfortunately, that's not how it worked out. So it is what it is. They've had to improvise. And I think Horn's done a good job. He's done a very admirable job considering he's a very young player who's playing out of position. Well, again, Tech playing uh, Syracuse on Saturday. Then after the uh, Syracuse game, they go to Miami – that's on Wednesday. And then next Saturday, they're at NC State. They go see uh, another matchup with J.J., uh, James Johnson, yeah. assistant coach over there in uh, North Carolina State. But anyways, that's the upcoming schedule. We'll talk about that uh, on our next podcast next week. We wrap up the first podcast of the year here at TSL, talking about maybe the hottest team in Virginia Tech uh, athletics right now, Hokies Wrestling. Currently uh, winners of five duels in a row. They won the Virginia duels over UVA. Decisively. 37-5. to five. <laughs> And uh, so, so many uh, positives going on in Tony Roby's program right now. He's got everybody healthy. Uh, and, and they're on a roll going into their duel against number 13 Pittsburgh on Friday. Will, I know you've been following along. What have your impressions been over the last month? I am not happy that I'm not going to be here this weekend. I have to be out of town, so I'm going to miss wrestling on Friday night, and I'm going to miss basketball against Syracuse on Saturday night. So the big key for wrestling is that they've got they've got everybody back. 
Um, well, they've got not back, but they've got everybody now. They right. were missing a couple guys earlier in the year. Um, I get the impression uh, you've probably been actually following it closer than I have, but I get the impression that Makai Lewis, for one, is just getting better and better. Um, they were twenty six and four at the Virginia Duels. They had they had three. They lost four yeah. matches in three overall duels, and and three of those are at the one hundred twenty five pound level where I think they're getting pummeled. Um, uh, so they went. Other than that, they went twenty six and one. Um, so everything's you know, assuming everybody stays healthy, everything's coming together for them. And Pittsburgh is ranked where thirteenth. They're thirteenth, and they're coming off of a decisive loss to number three Oklahoma State, but they actually moved up in the polls. Uh, a couple of interesting notes on that. There's gonna be a. Uh, if you're thinking about coming out, this would be a great one to come out to. There's a lot of ranked wrestlers on both sides. Uh, Philippi, the number two wrestler in the 133 weight class, is going to go up against Corbin Myers, who's ranked. And he's been a really, uh, I call him rock steady. I think he's been very consistent. And Tony Roby spoke very highly of him when I talked to him today. Um, and they have actually wrestled back in the day when they were both in the state of Pennsylvania. Hmm. Uh, so that's going to be a great matchup. Uh, and You're Pitch- killing me, man. I'm not going to be there. <laughs> you can watch, though. You can watch. Um, and the they're also pretty back-heavy in their lineup. A couple of great matchups oh, at 184. So, Tech, right? yeah. so I, I think that this is going to be a really entertaining matchup. And to go along with that, so it's Corps of Cadets Appreciation. It is the Battle of the Bergs. When I first heard it, I thought it was a ba- like you know Blacksburg and Pittsburgh. But it's a battle between Blacksburg and Christiansburg. Where Hokie fans are, uh, and I don't have it in front of me, but I, I forget which one, but I believe one Blacksburg, I think, is supposed to wear maroon, and Christiansburg is supposed to wear orange. Interesting. And huh. so it's going to be a battle of the Bergs. Uh, they're also giving away VT Wrestling uh, rally towels. So it's going to be a great night of wrestling. It got moved to 730. It, used to be, uh, it was supposed to be at 7, 730. Definitely come out to Castle. Free well, so, so, yeah, the pitch is if you're going to come see Tech play Syracuse on Saturday and that game is sold out, come a day early. You know, and, and see the wrestling match. And like we keep saying, come watch one. You'll really enjoy it, whether you know anything about the sport or not. Next time they're at home is February 15th against Cornell. That's going to be a good one. And, again, there's about 200 tickets available left for the uh, Moss Arts Center matchup with Virginia. That's on Saturday, February 16th at 7 o'clock. And uh, that is going to be very fun for the Commonwealth okay. Clash. So Moss Arts Center, Arts Center seats about, what, twelve or 1,500? Something like it's that. It's a little over 1,000 for sure. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, um, so last I looked, they were only about half sold, but that's been a while. So they're up, to, they're down to two hundred. I want to say Roby said on uh, uh, on Monday night on Tech Talk or Tuesday night, I guess on Tech Talk Live, that they still had two hundred tickets left. Okay. Yep. And uh, um, it's a neat venue, and I think tickets are only ten bucks a piece. I know the tickets I bought; I think they were only ten dollars a piece. So. Yep, I just clicked ten ten dollars. Yep, I just clicked on the get seats. If you just go to Hokie Wrestling on HokieSports.com, go to that matchup. It'll have the ticket information uh, yeah. information there. So to be clear, they are wrestling Cornell that Friday night, and then UVA that Saturday. On Saturday, so that is, and then the following Friday is the big one home against North Carolina State. That yeah. is, so, um, you know, it's interesting right now. You heard Tony Roby say it on the podcast earlier this year. I, I'm sorry, I, te- I guess technically last year. Um, this academic they, year. Yeah, academic year. The ACC is getting a lot better, and Pittsburgh is a team that was not anywhere near a top yeah. 25 caliber team a year ago. They've got, got Coach Gavin's come in. Uh, he's an alumnus did, did of he Pitt. Come from, did he come from Penn State? Not 100% sure where he came from. He did graduate from Pitt, though. He okay. wrestled at Pitt, so, uh, and he's done a great job bringing in some youngsters. So I think it's going to be a really entertaining matchup on Friday, and we'll, we'll talk more about wrestling um, as they get ready to come back home. On February 15th. So we're just about wrapping up here. Our first podcast of the year. We talked Hokie football, Hokie basketball, Hokie wrestling. Chris, uh, I do want to shout out what's going on on uh, TechSideline.com this week, what our uh, viewers can check out. Oh, my goodness. Uh, we're going to have our normal Friday Q&A tomorrow, a Syracuse uh, preview. I'm writing a column right now about the situation with the transfers and the response from the team meeting last night, the quarterback situation, the running back situation. Uh That'll be up posted by tomorrow at some point also. So there's some decent stuff coming out. Yeah, and if, if you if you didn't see it, go check out my column from yesterday about the, the transfer portal because, you know, it turns out a lot of people didn't know about it, hadn't heard about it, you know, and that, that's why we're here. We read up on it and kind of told you how it works and, and things like that. Um, we recently added something to our coverage. We uh, got a subscription to Pro Football Focus. 
and that's that's a lot of really good data. Chris is doing um, position reviews and look aheads, and a lot of really interesting data in there about. You know, you have your impressions from watching film, who's doing well, who's not, how much is a guy playing, what position is he playing. Well, we can break it down for you exactly. You know, for instance, uh, Kyle Chung played four positions on the offensive line last year. Um, the only position he didn't play, I think, was left tackle. He actually played eight snaps at right tackle. And this is the kind of stuff we learn, you know, and there, and there are all kinds of grades in the, in the PFF stuff that, uh, you know, that are illuminating. So uh, that's stuff we got coming up that's really good. Fantastic. It's a great time to subscribe as well. Indeed. We need to put that promo at the beginning of the podcast instead of the end. We should. So that is foreshadowing to our podcast next week. Uh, we'll have our date figured out then and uh, different ways you can listen and watch. Of course, you can always get your podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and wherever you happen to listen to your podcast. So that's going to do it for our TSL first one of 2019 or TSL podcast. For Will, for Chris, I'm Evan. We'll talk to you next week right here from the high-tech TSL offices here in Blacksburg. Have a good one, Hokie fans.